Well, last week we started a new sermon series called Whole Life Worship, and Pastor John started to unpack this question, what is worship, and we started to see that our, everything is worship. It's more than just Sundays, it, it actually continues on to Monday, but Sunday, our gathered worship time, our time that we gather here, matters. And we started to see things like prayers and, and songs and creeds and announcements and testimonies. They, they remind us of God's bigger story. And I love stories. I don't know if you guys love stories, but I love stories. And as a, as a child, I, I grew up, um, my mom and dad both worked. And so my sister and I often were left home alone during the summers especially. And I especially loved kind of fantasy stories. And we used to have these things called VCRs. I don't know if you know what those are. And when I, when I mentioned to, to younger, uh, younger kids and I say, hey, we used to tape things, they're like, what does that mean? Um, it just blows my mind. But anyway, so I go and I used to watch this movie, this 1980s cinema classic called The NeverEnding Story. And that was one of my favorite movies. And I would, I would put, the, put the, the, the movie in there. And, and, and The NeverEnding Story was about this kid. This kid had lost his mother. His dad was overworked. And he felt very insignificant and lonely. And he would escape life through reading, especially reading fantasy books. And so one day, um, as he's being chased by some bullies, he wanders into some obscure bookstore, runs into some creepy librarian, and finds this weird book called The NeverEnding Story. And he takes the, the book, and he goes to school, and then he ditches school in school, which I really didn't understand. That's the worst thing you'd want to do. He goes to the attic, and he starts reading this story. And as he reads this story, he starts to discover things about himself. And he, he starts to discover that he's part of something bigger than he even could imagine. And this is the same for us. Worship, our gathered worship here on Sunday, shows us the bigger vision of what God is doing in and through us in the world. And so the title of today's message is, What Worship Shows Us. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Now I want to give you a little context to this verse in Ephesians, these verses in Ephesians. So Paul in Acts 19 goes and plants the church in Ephesus. Now Ephesus is, is in Asia Minor. It's a major crossroads for trade. It's a diverse metropolis. And it was, um, it housed one of, the seven, uh, one of the ancient wonders of the world, which was this large temple to the goddess Artemis. And so there was, it was heavily steeped in this occult society and, and occult practices. And so Paul goes and he plants a church there. And in verses 15 through 23, Paul prays that those in Ephesus would have this deeper understanding of God's cosmic vision and deeper understanding of their role in that vision. And the conduit for understanding this is our gathered worship time, this Sunday worship, what we do here on Sundays. And the church at Ephesus had a little bit of a problem. They, they had a tainted worship experience because they understood worship, but they understood worship from a, a cult perspective. And so there were some Jews within the, in, in the church at Ephesus as well, but they understood it from a Jewish perspective. And for, for us, some of us, we have a tainted worship experience. 
We come from a certain tradition, or maybe no tradition at all, or just the busyness of life and, and the culture around us has really sucked the meaning of what gathered worship is supposed to mean. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at Paul's prayer, and I want to extract three things that give us a, a bigger vision of the purpose of our gathered worship time. And my prayer is that this will empower us to, to bring purpose to our every day. So let me go ahead and let me pray and ask God to bless our time. Father God, we bless you and we thank you and we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Lord, we just want to worship you. Help us in that. Help us see what you have for us today. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is that worship shows us a compelling vision. Now, this kid, Bastion, in The NeverEnding Story, that's the kid who's reading the book, he's reading it, and he starts to read this book, and he, and he discovers this, this world filled with wonder and, and imagination. And, and as we worship on Sundays, we see a compelling vision as well. We see a wonder-filled God. He's just full of wonder. And we read in verses 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And in worship, we see this God who is majestic and he is triune. You see, God is triune. And we can't even wrap our minds around what that even means. God is one and he's three. He's majestic. He's far beyond us. And as a, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is relationally sufficient within himself. He has been for eternity. We often get this idea that God is up there and we're down here and he's just like, I'm so lonely. I'm so lonely. But God isn't lonely. He's relationally sufficient within himself and yet he wants us. He wants us. That actually highlights the fact that he doesn't need us, but he wants us. But yet he's far beyond our, our comprehension. He's, he's transcendent in a way that, that our finite minds can't possibly wrap our mind around. He's full of wonder. We also see that in worship, we see a God that wants us to know him better as well. So even though he's way up there, he's also very close to us. He wants us to understand him personally, distinctly, and truly. And to the church at Ephesus, this makes no sense to them. They understood a God way up there, a God that was way out of their reach. But to have a God that wanted them to know him personally, that didn't make sense to them. Because in, in, in occult practices, a, a, a God is really nameless, he's aloof, he's, he's really not relational. But yet we have a God that wants to, us to know him. So how does he do this? He does this through his Holy Spirit. We see the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit gives us the capacity to understand the divine things of Christ and then apply them. You see, this isn't just an academic pursuit. We must apply these things to our life. But this only happens when we engage God with everything. We engage him in his word, in prayer, everything. Some of you are sitting right here and you're not even worshiping because it's an orientation of the heart. Many of us have lost this compelling vision of who God is. 
We, we must regain it back. It's, it's not a matter of, because I want Sundays to go better. It's really a matter of survival. Some of us are barely eking by. Every day, just, it's just harder than the next. So this is a matter of survival. We must regain this compelling vision. So how? How do we do this? We must, we must remember that worship is not about us. Worship has nothing to do with us. And somewhere along the line, worship started becoming about us. Worship started to be optional. Gathered worship, well, maybe I'll go if I could fit it in my schedule. At one point, at some point, worship became about really good music. It came about a really good sermon preached by a charismatic preacher, all in 60 minutes or less. Somewhere along the line, that's what happens. It started to become about being fed. I just want to be fed. I just want to be fed. And, and that's not what it's about. Worship is about rendering everything to God. Everything is yours, God. Everything is yours, God. It's about rendering. You see, worship is a reaction to what God has done. Therefore, we render it to God. It's not the other way around. Worship isn't that we, we, we expect something from God. Like, God, I'm here, so now feed me. It's, God, I'm responding to what you have already done in my life, and I'm going to render it to you. And so rendering starts right now in our Sundays, in our gathered worship time. You see, when we just want to be fed, we take that in to our Monday worship and our Tuesday worship and our, and our Wednesday worship, and we want to be fed. And what we get fed by the world is, is not good things. And we're disappointed, and we're like, life is horrible. But if everything's about rendering it to God then every opportunity becomes a worship opportunity. Everything. So we must remember that worship is first and foremost about meeting the God of the universe face to face. Because if it's not about that, our gathered worship time on Sunday will not propel us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and throughout the week. It's not going to happen. I just, want, I just want you to, to, to listen to this. Before Paul goes into this prayer, I want you to listen to this. Verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly, heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he has lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put in effect in the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and so redemption of those who are, are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Does that compel you? Does it compel you? 
This is a compelling message. And, and in the Greek, that's one sentence, by the way. It's like Paul is like, check this out. You have to hear this compelling vision. We're predestined. We're sons. We're daughters. We've been given every blessing in Christ. Everything is ours in Christ. And he just goes on and on and on. That's a compelling vision. This is what makes us stand in awe of God is this. And worship is a response to that. But in order for us to have this compelling vision, we have to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is we have all sinned. Listen, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is a real thing. It separates us from God. And I don't have to tell you your thoughts and your actions. You know that. Yet God did not leave us there. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and righteous life. And he was nailed to a cross. And then three days later, he died. And three days later, he was resurrected. And we put our faith and trust in him. We are renewed to new life. We're no longer separated from God. We are his. And here's the thing. God is renewing all things. And we have a hand in that. And so we must preach that message to ourselves every single day. If you're just listening to this on Sundays from me or from Pastor John, it's not sufficient. I'm going to encourage you, every day when you wake up in the morning, before your feet hit the floor, I want you to thank God that you're alive, and then I want you to preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remember this compelling vision, and I guarantee you things will change. You can do this anywhere. So that's the first thing. Second, worship shows us a renewing vision. See that worship shows us a renewing vision of the future. Verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may, may be enlightened, or, or the perception of your mind, your volition, your emotions, that you understand in all ways, in order that you may know. This isn't a head knowledge, this is a reflective knowledge. This is a like, I know this. It's an intrinsic knowledge, the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, in the never-ending story, there was this magical land, Fantasia, and there was this thing that was sweeping across Fantasia called the nothing. And the nothing was just wiping the whole, whole place out, and people were freaked out. And the people in, this, in this, this land of Fantasia put all their hope in, in, in this empress, this childlike empress, this little girl. But their hope was misplaced because she didn't have the power to do anything about the nothing. And we too often put our hope in misplaced things, people, places, and, and ideas. And these things aren't necessarily bad. Some of these are really good things. Yet they're misplaced because they cannot withstand the weight of the world, or, or our nothing. Therefore, our worship, it must be centered on Christ. Everything must be centered on Christ. Christ is our only hope. If we come in this room, and it's not first and foremost about glorifying and worshiping Jesus Christ, it's not worship. It might be a good time to gather and see people. That's all, all well and good, but it's not worship. So we are focused on Christ. Our hope is centered on Jesus Christ. 
It has to be, because Christ is the one who dealt with the great nothing of sin and death. And because our hope is placed in him, we are conquerors. We overcome that. And there's a renewing thing that's happening. We are renewed, and God is renewing all things in Christ, the agent of creation. We see that worship, our gathered worship time on Sundays, shows us this renewing power that is within you. Verse 19 says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Listen, we are a people that are not powerless. This isn't a, um, I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying here. Uh, this isn't like a, a pep talk, right? This isn't some prosperity thing. This is for reals. We are not powerless. Why? Because we have the very same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see, the enemy will use shame, will use social pressure, will use stereotypes, and even our own sinful disposition to make us feel helpless in life. Haven't you ever just felt helpless? Like, this situation is just, I don't know what to do. And many of us succumb to what we call a savior complex. We're the savior of our family. We're the savior of the workplace. We're the savior of our kids. We're the savior of everything. And if we don't do it, it's not going to happen. And I'm going to tell you who the worst people on this are. Pastors. Pastors are the worst. I struggle with this. I struggle with this a lot. If, if I don't do it, it's not going to be done. It's all on me. And I know you guys feel the same thing in your own lives. But what ends up happening is, is we burn out. We burn out. We know our limitations, and yet we do it anyways. We burn out. We're not strong enough to do this on our own. But we're not called to. And as we gather and we read things like the Apostles' Creed or, or we read scripture or we, or we do these things in our gathered worship time, we remember that our salvation was not just a, a one-time prayer or a one-time thing, yet it's this historic active renewal that God did, is doing, and will continue to do. So we must remember that we are renewed and empowered by the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We are not powerless people and there's one Savior and we're not him. So the question is, how can I remember this? Because it's real easy to kind of slip into that, right? It's real easy just to slip in and say, I got this. I want you to write this down. If you got a pen. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Would you guys say this with me? Ready? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's Galatians 2.20, by the way. I want to encourage you to write this down. Write this verse down this week. Slip it in your pocket. Put it on your dashboard. I don't know. Put it in the kitchen somewhere. And I want you just to meditate on this verse. When you start to get freaked out and you're like, everything's on me, I want you to take this verse out. And I just want you to read it. 
And remember that it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives within you. There's only one Savior, and it's him, not you. You could do this anywhere, dropping the kids off at school, maybe not while you're actively driving, but when you stop, when you're at work, but do it. Finally, we see that worship shows us a whole life vision. Now, as this kid Bastion started to read this book, some weird anomalies started to happen. The book was actually starting to read him a little bit. And he started seeing his name in the book and he was freaking him out. At one point in the movie, he takes the book and he slams it against the wall because he's just so freaked out by this. Like, how is, a, how is my name in this weirdo book? And it is. And he starts to realize that this story was bigger than he could possibly imagine. It's not just a story tale, it's, it's, it's something bigger. And worship shows us this, this whole life vision, this whole life reign of Christ and the mission of the church. Verse 22 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The, the theologian and the, the former prime minister of the Netherlands, Abraham Kuyper, wrote, there is not one, there's not a square inch in the whole of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Everything is Christ. Christ says, that is mine. Christ says, this four, everything within these four walls is mine. Everything outside of these four, four walls is mine. Your, your house is mine. Your job is mine. Everything is mine because I'm king over all and in all. And I created everything. There's a, one aspect of life that Christ does not care about because everything is his and he rules everything. That's all right. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. He gives me my amen fuel, by the way. There's no compartmentalizing the reign of Christ because he rules everything. When you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for your kid, he reigns that. That's his space. When you're at work, and you're, and you're on the computer, he reigns over that. When you go to the grocery store, when you fix your car, when you're shooting a bow, because you, that's what you do. When you're... <laughs> he reigns all. So what does this mean? It means our Sunday gathered worship time prepares us for our Monday scattered worship time. You see, this is, a, this is a sanctified area, this church. We're on sacred ground. But as soon as you walk outside of this, you're on sacred ground as well because you are living bricks of the temple of God. And so you are called to advance that kingdom of God. Wherever you step, you're extending the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ as the church scattered. Listen, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. No one's going to walk by this church and see this big white church building and go, well, that's kind of a cool building. Um, I'm going to go ahead and walk in and just start going to church. It's not happening, especially in New England. No one's going to sit there and see us praise and worship a guy and say, why are they talking about this guy who's dead and what's up with this cross thing? And I don't get it. It's kind of weird. No one's walking through and doing that. So we must bring it to them. We must bring church to them. 
So every place is Christ. And some of you are sitting here and you're saying, Brian, but my life's really not that big of a deal. I hate my job. Or every day I do the same thing. Or you know what? I just really never even leave the house. My job really isn't that big of a deal. My life really isn't that big of a deal. But I want to encourage you that your life is bigger than you could possibly imagine. It's possibly bigger than you possibly could imagine because it's Christ. Where you're at is Christ. And it's sacred space. Because Christ is Lord of everything and everybody and every, everywhere. Now as I conclude, the kid, Bastion, realized towards the end of the story that, that he was actually part of this bigger story. His insignificant little life that he thought was insignificant was actually part of this bigger story, this never-ending story. He was actually a linchpin within that story. And, and it's the same for us. Our small lives, our lives here in New England, in North Andover, Haverhill, Methuen, Lawrence, Andover, all the areas in the Merrimack Valley, they're part of a bigger cosmic story that transcends time, space, and matter. Why? Because we're part of the body of Christ and Christ rules all. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus Christ, when he said this, this was prior to the Holy Spirit. Well, for us, the Holy Spirit has came upon us. And you'll see in your bulletin, there's an adaptation of Acts 1.8. So the question I have is, is this time tomorrow, where will you be? Where is God sending you? Where will you be worshiping at tomorrow? Friends, it's, it's, it's time to see things with a totally different lens. It's time to see things from a totally different lens. And I, and I want this to be a time of, of recommitment and a time to ask God for us to just see this bigger vision as Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I want us to see this bigger vision. So I'm going to ask you guys to stand up real quick. Now, there's going to be a prayer that's going to be put up on the screen. And we're just going to do this all together. Don't worry about the all and the leader. But I want us to pray this together and say this together as our time of just recommitting God and saying, God, please give us this bigger vision. So let us, let us pray in a spirit of prayer. Ready? Open us up, God, for all you have for us today. Open our eyes, God, to see you reflected in every human face. Open our hearts, God, to feel your compassion for this broken world. Open our ears, God, to hear the whisper of your spirit and the wisdom of your word. Open our hands, God. This is your ministry, your kingdom, your power, your glory. Open our lips, God, that our mouths may sing out your praise. Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for wanting to know us. We thank you for intersecting your bigger cosmic story, your vision with us. We thank you for that. Please give us a vision of what you are doing. May that just be so deeply ingrained in all of our hearts. Wherever you send us, Lord, may we understand that we do it not for our glory, but for your glory and for your purposes, because everything is yours. 
May we proceed from the four walls of this church into just another context of sacred space, bringing you worship, rendering everything to you, because it's all yours. Give us bigger vision, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.